Baldy with Ubaldi Reports. With me, as always, is my great co-host, Joe Bitts, and good friend. So how's it going, Big Joe? I'm great, John. How are you? And just let everybody know, Joe is not big. He's just, that's just a metaphor. Yeah, actually, it like sticks, too, because I had a buddy in the Marine Corps. His name was Joe, too, and he was Little Joe. But he was actually a little bit, there was a significant difference between he and I. He was a little fluffier? Yeah, but we were both, no, he was just, he was like real, real thin. So I, that's the one thing I like about the military. You got to, they come in. Eclectic. They look at you and poof, you got a nickname. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, everybody's getting called called like their last name and stuff like that but when and we call him little joe to this day it's funny when you say that i would even think about it when i tell people when that when the marine corps ball and you're introducing him to your marine <laughs> and i'm like what's his first name i don't know <laughs> we don't go by first name yeah it's always been like last name if you want me to turn my head real quick just call me by my last name because i'm like who the hell's talking to me like this? Yeah, because we don't use first name and then enlisted, we yeah. don't use first names. So I still have a good buddy of mine. He's actually friends with Adam Bird, too. But he's every time I talk to him, he hey, Sergeant, what's going on? I was like, look, I haven't been in the military for over. Well, I still get from some of my former Marines, like, hey, Master Guns, what's going on? I'm like, you know, you can call me John. Yeah, but there's this, I think there's like this awkwardness. Is, they just And I just let it go. I said, whatever. Because I don't know you any other person but John. Because when you met, you were John. You weren't Master Guns. And then when I told you I was the Master Guns, you're like, oh, great. Yeah. And then I get the Master Guns stare every time I screwed up. But if I didn't hit record or something like that, <laughs> hey, I didn't record. I didn't. Re we got to start all over again. I didn't record this one. You know, you'd be like, what? A little maybe it's up for uh, there's another a key for intent for contention here with Biden. So he steps into office day one. What does he do? He stops the pipeline. The Keystone XL pipeline. Yeah, the Keystone XL pipeline, which through other people with the colonial pipeline getting shut down, is the safest way to transport oil and gas to where it needs to go. Even his energy secretary, she said it's safer to transport energy through a pipeline. Okay, so why is he in favor or why does he have anything to do with this pipeline, what's this pipeline called over in Germany? Nord Stream 2. Okay, Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And it's, I like, you explained this before. So basically, when we had Donald Trump, he's told Germany to kind of pack sand because we're not going to protect you from Russia if you're going to get your oil and gas from Russia. Yeah, because currently they had pipelines that would cross into Eastern Europe through Poland, through Ukraine. Russia, when, because there were some issues with Ukraine and Russia, Russia decided to go around Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. So they went through the Baltics, the Baltic Sea, down into Germany. And what Donald Trump did, he said, you want us to protect us, protect you from Russia. Yeah. Because you're threatened by what Russia's doing in Belarus and in Ukraine. But you don't want to spend on your 2% for defense. You won't be at 2% till 2032. Your military is non-deployable, mm -hmm. meaning if there's a crisis or an event, we can't count on the Germans to help us out. Yeah. Then you want to sign up with this deal with Gazprom, which is a Russian energy company with its CEO president, who is a great ally of Vladimir Putin. So during the campaign and for the last four years, the Democratic Party has been railing against Donald Trump. You had Eric Saul, the 
member who was on the House Intelligence Committee, who was also one of the impeachment managers, stated that he believes Trump is a Russian asset. You had James Clapper. You had, what's the other guy's name? James Clapper, the CI, John Brennan, Mm -hmm. all alluded that Trump is weak on Russia. And Biden last year emphatically was angry, said he is so soft on Russia Joe Biden comes in as president. He gets us back into some of these arms control agreement where Russia is violating with impunity. Yeah. He gives in to everything that Putin wanted. He called Putin a killer just two months ago. Yeah. And now he signs this energy deal that enriches Vladimir. Okay, but is he looking at more of the benefit for Germany than he is Russia? I think what it is, most of the experts... Foreign policy expert says he's looking at rebuilding the alliance with Germany that was fractured under Donald Trump. But I think it really wasn't fractured. It was just like common sense kind of. No, it was Donald Trump and Andrea Merkel, who was the chancellor of Germany. They went at it. But it's ironic that he's trying to build this relationship that in 2015, when President Obama was president and Joe Biden was his vice president, Obama, under the intelligence community under Obama, hacked in to Andrea Merkel's cell phone. Okay. But Donald Trump called more of a disruption than that. Okay. They're trying to build that relationship back, but it's it does a disservice because you're making Russia have a great influence over Western Europe's energy. They can shut it off at any time. Donald Trump had said, we'll sell you all the natural gas you want at fair market prices, far cheaper than what you're getting from Russia. Yeah. And that's what I kind of maybe they don't understand is that if they want, if Russia wants to get America involved in a conflict of some sort, it's just going to be Russia feeding all the gas or feeding all the oil and gas to those countries in Europe. And then all of a sudden, Russia's, we're not playing your game anymore. Cut it off. And then these countries are not going to look to Russia to, to start it back up. They're going to look at the U.S. Hey, you mind giving us a hand because Russia is being a bunch of... But see, the interesting part is, since Joe Biden has become president, yeah. gas prices went up about 40%. Depends who you talk to. I think a lot of people go by the gasbuddy.com. Okay, but I, I want to stop you right there for a second. I want maybe in your time, but you can research. Why can't we just maybe have like a research of the gas? Maybe the Okay, are the gas prices high? Yes. Are they high for everybody? Yes, but I want to see if there's a comparison, especially maybe with the influx of inflation. There's a lot of things that are going up. One is inflation. You have gone up. Okay, that's it. A lot of it has to do with they're opening up the economy now. So so businesses, individuals are using more energy. Mm -hmm. So that means the demand's up. So the supply has to get up there from there. Yeah. Then you have Joe Biden stopping the Keystone XL pipeline. Mm -hmm. He's stopping energy exploration or energy extraction on federal land. Then he got this spat with um, Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia, what they did, okay, we're cutting back on our energy production. So there's more demand out there, less supply drives the price. Now, at any point, okay, does the government actually control the pricing of gas, though? Are they the ones that call up Exxon or? No, no, that, that doesn't work like that. Okay, so energy is like a commodity on the world market. It's very volatile. So any disruption, like when Iran used drones to attack the Saudi oil refineries, 
during when Trump was president, it was like a year or two ago, everybody thought oil prices would go up. Donald Trump, what he did is he made America energy independent. Which was great. Because we weren't so tied to the volatility of a disruption somewhere else. Now, before that, before I finish, let you get to your point. Yeah. Before that, there was. If there was a disruption somewhere else, like here in this country, if mm-hmm. we have a hurricane that slams into the Gulf Coast, it disrupts the the refining of the energy. So that can draw the prices of gas up. Yeah, but also, guess what else drives the price up? Summer. There's more demand for energy. Yeah. But when you have more demand for something and less of supply, that's why inflation's going up. When they shut down all these manufacturing companies because of COVID, then you ramp it up. So we're getting out of COVID restrictions. The demand for goods is going up, mm-hmm. but the supplies aren't there. I think everybody needs to take a step back, especially when it comes to, okay, you know, people have this idea that the government runs two things that are actually free market our deals is one's the stock market. The government does not control the stock market. Once again, the, the government does not control the gas prices. Now, there is a correlation. I would think that if we're doing good, gas is low, stock market is up. If we're doing bad, stock market well, is the, low, gas is up. The way, like I mentioned with gas prices, the government doesn't control the price of gas, mm-hmm. but it can influence it through policy, canceling the Keystone XL pipeline preventing the extraction of energy on foreign land. So when you restrict how we get our energy and you whittled some of those companies down, they're going bankrupt. And the Democrats also want to use the um, getting with the banks like they did under when President Obama was president. He said, "Okay, banks, you will not loan to undesirable companies like payday loan companies and gun manufacturers. So they do the same thing with energy companies. If you got to factor in climate change into your loans, but if a, cl- a climate company comes in that does wind and solar, we'll give you free reign, but this company you don't. Now, when it comes to the stock market, the government can play a role in that by its fiscal policy, taxes, high taxes, low taxes, low regulation, high regulation, and then you've got the Federal Reserve. That's why the market dropped a little bit this week because there was indicators before the Fed had its meeting that they may do something with its bond or they may raise interest rates Mm. to curtail the rise of inflation. So going back, when it comes to what's currently going on right now in the Middle East with Israel and Hamas, is that affecting the gas prices at all? Or is it... it or are we maybe like playing a little going on both sides because we don't want to set upset maybe Saudi Arabia and we don't want to set upset Israel? It could if it got into a regional war. But because Israel and Hamas don't sit on high, they don't sit on the oil fields. Yeah. Like when they had a problem with Iran for Saudi Arabia, most of Saudi Arabia's oil fields are on its eastern side of its border, which are in very heavy Shiite areas. Yeah. So if there was a, like when we did went into Iraq, there could have been a potential prices go up. 
because that's where the energy comes from in the whole Persian Gulf region, where Israel and Hamas is. There's really no, they don't really have the natural resources when it comes to energy. They so, don't really have much. And that kind of led you into the question, uh, you and my wife were having a little bit of discussion about like food costs and stuff like that. Where were you going with that? I, I was just asking her because she does the bulk of your buying yeah. for food. So if energy costs go up, that means it costs more to transport and get the, it costs more for the farmers to pick, to cultivate their crops because they need more energy. Then you need more, you got to get that supply, those product to market. Yeah. So the trucking companies, they have to use energy, the supermarkets and corn prices have got a skyrocketed up. So a lot of things feed off corn, wheat, soybean, all that stuff has gone up. Clearly, people need to be feeling some kind of repercussion for voting for Biden right now. Do you think? I think they're starting to, I think a lot of people voted for Biden because they just said, I'm tired of this noise with Trump. Because he's not Trump. That's why he got voted. Yeah. And now that when it comes to policy, this is when Joe Biden made the comment, I'm not going to tax anybody making less than $400,000. But if inflation goes up, your purchasing power drops because you're not your wages haven't gone up, but your cost of everything from rent to utilities to food to gas. All these tangible items is affects you personally. Like for you, you got a family. Yeah. So you got to drive to work. Your gas costs more now to get to work. Your wife has to go to work. Her gas costs go up. Then you send your kids to, let's say your youngest daughter goes to preschool. Yeah, she'll be going to school too. Okay, that cost may go up because their energy costs, their costs go up. When everybody else's costs go up, like in a business, they can only roll so much over to the consumer. Eventually, they have to, I'm excuse me, they can only eat the cost so much. Then they roll it over to the consumer with higher prices on whatever product they're selling. But what's maybe, maybe the current administration is, screw it, let gas go up as high as it will, and that will push their agenda for uh, like solar or more renewable energy. The problem with that is a good example is California. California has their version of the Green New Deal. Yeah. And the last couple of years, especially last summer, they had heat waves in August and July and August and into September. You, they don't generate enough energy through wind and solar because the peak, at least for solar, the peak time to generate energy or to, to get the energy is from two to four. Yeah. The peak usage for energy is from five to nine when people come home. Yeah, but I don't think they're. I don't think they're fully aware. I really don't think they're fully aware of what is going on in California and some of the problems people, that they are facing. Because isn't California? They're still getting other energy from different. They get. Out of all the states in the union, they're the one state that imports about almost 40% of its energy from other states. Oh. Then they used to, in the 90s, they got 5% of their energy needs from fossil fuel from the Middle East. Now they're up to 60%. They just, you cannot generate enough energy from wind and solar. It's too intermediate. But I think. You just can't. But I think they're probably just going to get to the American, they're going to get the American people to a point where they're just like, we got to do something. We can't afford this gas anymore. We got to find another source of energy. I'm not saying wind and solar can't be part of the energy grid system. Yeah. But it cannot be the primary source. But we got to think. Okay, we got to think a little bit in the future. This gas, this oil, it's going to run out eventually. We're going to tap 
I mean, that was the theory for a while. Now they're finding out we don't have unlimited supply, but we're like decades away from get from exhausting it. And well, we're dec- not, decades. And yeah. centuries will be a different story. That's just an example. I would have to look at the exact time frame. Yeah. But we're not using we're using a different fossil fuel now. Natural mm-hmm. gas as we got a plenty of natural gas yeah. here for I think hundreds of years. And that has drive that's reduced our greenhouse gas emissions. So even if the United States totally abolished fossil fuel, would have minuscule impact on the global climate change unless other countries do the same. Yeah. And China and India aren't going to do that. Yeah, no, they, they're not stepping up to the plate until oh. until a couple years later after America has exhausted itself. They're going to wait till America messes up its economy, and they're just going to take the ride out. And there's nothing that Joe Biden, even the Paris climate, it was just an agreement. Yeah. There was nothing that was saying, you will do this. So we got other things. So I heard, and we got to maybe, let's just play around with this one a little bit here. But say you're homeless. And you, the California said, Hey, guess what? We're going to give you a thousand dollars a month if you're homeless, which would, yeah, that's awesome. But what's the qualification process of, of that? Are they going to walk down the street and just start handing out a hundred dollar bills? Because that's, I think that's dangerous. Or what if someone's just playing homeless where you would see like a lot of these viral videos going around where someone's asking for money, asking for money, and then they're walking to their Mercedes at the end of the day? See, I don't know how they're going to work that. The problem in California is they're not addressing the core issue. My brother works as a firefighter out in Seattle, and he asked, he was involved with some of the homeless issue because he was a paramedic at the time. So he asked me, what should I ask the mayor? That's a good well, You have a good story behind that, too. Yeah, I go, so what should I ask the mayor when I'm in this focus group with him? And I go, ask him this. What's causing the homeless crisis? Mm-hmm. So he asks him that, and he goes, we're really not sure. It's a combination. That means he doesn't know. Yeah. Well, so It's always that. So then the next question I ask him is, okay, Seattle, let's say, wants to spend $100 million. Not saying they are, but let's just say that. I know it's a big sum of money. Yeah. So let's just say, for the sake of argument, they want to spend $100 million on the homeless. What is the federal, state, and local levels doing with the homeless? What are the nonprofits doing? So basically what Seattle, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, they have the homeless industrial complex. They have organizations and entities that strictly feed off the homeless. That's how they make their money. They saw widespread abuse. Some of these people are making six-figure salaries helping the homeless. So let me ask you a question. So say tomorrow it all just goes away in a blink and you are homeless. Okay, what do you do? What is your first step into being not homeless anymore? Is it something you accept or is it something you're going to try to? I would do everything I can to get out of homelessness. Get it. Well, as an example. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm homeless now. But I was struggling. I got a job at Chick-fil-A. Yeah. And I would do the same thing. I would just I have to just bear down, you know, and grin it and then try to find work and then take that work. And that's what I'm doing. And then I'm looking to get a second job to supplement what I'm and that's Chick-fil-A. But there's a difference now. Okay, so when it comes to homelessness, I don't really think homelessness is not necessarily a problem because you have two, maybe two different versions of homelessness. You have people that were working that are no longer working and they try to do whatever they can to get back to be not being but homeless. The other problem is you have a lot of people who are homeless are not because they lost their homes. Yeah. It's 
the mental illness, exactly. the alcoholism, and the drug abuse. But what they've done in these cities, like San Francisco, they pass out needles. Now, Atlanta, a friend of mine who lives there, what they do is they try to assess your needs. Like they would take, hey, Joe, you got a problem. You're a, a drug addict. We're going to send you to drug treatment program to help fix your addiction so you're no longer addicted to that. But VA has some programs set up. I'm pretty sure there are some state and federal programs set up as well that are like, hey, you're homeless. We don't want you to be homeless anymore. Let's help you. But those, I would have to look at maybe some statistics on that. But there are very bad, like, return rates. No, there are. It's not. But It's a mental health problem. It's okay, but here's the other issue. I know I used California as an example. Back in 2002, they passed a tax, the wealthy, I think on sales tax, that would pay for mental health. They can't find $2 billion. Mayor de Blasio's wife was put in charge of mental health issues for the city of New York. Yeah. The city council asked her, what did you spend $800 million on? And she couldn't say one thing what that money went to. Yeah. So there's a lot of dynamics, but when you feed the beast mm -hmm. what they're doing isn't working because look at tampa i'm not saying we don't have a homeless problem here but we don't have it anywhere near what they have out there in the west coast mm -hmm. camps you know people with some tents maybe sleeping here and there but it's not tent city all over their downtown area it really is enveloping california it's california has this false expectation of the American, or not the American dream, but I'm going to go to California and I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to be a movie star. I'm going to do this. People go to New York and they're like, I'm going to be this financial guy and I'm going to be this comedian or, or something like that. The other problem like in California, New York, and some of it's interesting. Homelessness is huge in the blue states. And that's just not me saying that's facts. Yeah. You can go to the city journal. You can go to new geography. They talk about this stuff. But the problem is, like in California, California is the richest state in the union, but it's also the poorest. A third, think about this, a third of all welfare recipients are in California. When they talk about, like, climate change, the wealthy can get by on it because they live on the coast. You yeah. live up the Central Valley, it hurts the poor. So if gas prices go up, let's say they're $3 almost here. In California, they're a dollar more, dollar and a half more. Mm -hmm. So they're paying well over 4 so if you're struggling to get by and you got to drive to to work and you were paying a dollar fifty a gallon, now you're paying three dollars a gallon. That affects your bottom line. No, I think I just thought of something that might more like a correlation than anything. But I don't see a lot of uh, black people on the side of the street asking for money down here in Tampa. It seems to be more like a, a white. Or very little Hispanic too. I might see it every once in a while, but you're talking about two different. You're you're talking about two. And that's a good point. I would have to do some yeah. research to see break it down by race. Because well, I think though, but because even though there is an educational gap between Hispanics and blacks versus whites and Asians, we got to see. I think the family aspect is a little bit well, more better for them that's why they you don't have, see them. it's just like with covid reason why african-americans and hispanics were greatly affected more than whites because they tend to live in multi-generational homes where you have grandparents parents cousins and that was a brand. and i think that's more of a support structure for them so if it came down to them being homeless they can go live with somebody they can live with somebody else I, yet i for whatever reason white people 
have this tendency of just burning every bridge that they cross. So if you see a white person that is homeless, that there is a reason because nobody in their family, other than maybe not having a family at all, is just they're done with you. We've helped you. We've given you money. We try to get you treatment, but yet you're still here at the same place at the same time well, all the time. I, that's something I'll do research on to find out without speculating that what is the racial an ethnic makeup of the homeless population in America. Yeah. That might be, so let's see if it's it, are we seeing more women homeless or is it, I want to, that's a good question. I got to do some research on that one. But I want to know if there's a correlation between homelessness and then also mental health. You know, these are good questions. I will do some research on that. Because I don't see a lot of black people or Hispanic people with a lot of mental illness i but might I, time, I just might not be looking at no, it but a lot of times mental illness it depends some ethnic groups not to disparage any ethnic groups but it's some ethnic groups they don't look at mental illness the same way so yeah. i want to look at it breaking it down to see what is the demographical aspects to mental illness by race yeah gender and the same thing with homelessness i mean i think we brought up a lot of like good yeah good points i really liked the conversation but what's the easiest way to help out homeless people in order to get them back or do they even want to get back do they just want to everything i've read says is don't give panhandlers money if you want to help the homeless, is give it to some of these nonprofits. Some of the churches, like we have, at least in Tampa, Metropolitan Ministries. Yeah, I don't agree with that. They do a, a good job. Also, is challenge our local officials. What are you currently doing? Like I was at a business roundtable in an enclave called Ebor City here in Tampa, and they were saying things that you want to ask the city, the county, the state, and the feds. So well, when it, someone brought up homelessness, and I raised my hand, and I go, if you're going to talk to the city, what is the city doing in comparison to the county and the state? Mm-hmm. And what are they doing in comparison to other nonprofits like religious groups, fraternal groups? to help the homeless. See, when it comes to going back to the panhandling and stuff like that, if I feel the need to give the money, I will. And first of all, it's not my... It's not my job to realize to know what they're going to do with the you know, money. That's not the point. The point that I bring it up is they said it's better to give it to a nonprofit so they can get the help they need. Because if you give it to someone in pan, it's easier to sit on the street and beg for money than go and get the help to get into something a little bit better. Great dynamic. I would like to just like hop on a corner in like a suit and tie and hold a sign saying my check account is negative $800. I need money. And I'm pretty sure somebody will give me not $800, but I can get enough money to get that money. Yeah, so we'll see. All right, listeners, why don't you go ahead and you know, email us or message us on Facebook, and how can they do that, John? You can email us by going to ubaldireports at gmail.com. That's ubaldireports at gmail.com. They can go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, type in Ubaldi Reports. If you go to Facebook, there's Ubaldi Reports group. Let us know what you think. We're finally trying to get the bugs out of our live stream, so we'll get that going. Joe, why don't you tell us what our listeners what we're also going to be doing? We're going to have a uncensored podcast on Patreon. Just look out for the link. We're going to post it in the group and on the page when it's up and running. We're just going to get a couple shows recorded so you guys have some content to listen to. And until then, everybody have a great day. Yeah, and keep listening to you, Bobby.